Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Have you ever had an experience whoa, where you had those chills up and down your spine? I mean, it might be something that's terrified you. It might be something that's totally terrifying and awesome at the same exact time. I remember hunting with my friend Daryl in the woods, turkey hunting, and a big, big, big black bear with cubs walked in front of us. We're sitting on the ground in front of trees as close as we are to that communion table. Totally terrifying, totally awesome at the same time. Totally awesome. Or maybe you hear a particular song and it just sends those chills up and down your spine. I know for me, even to this day, when I hear the Star Spangled Banner, it just, even now, it's just something in me. What a great country we live in, as messed up as it is. And, and last night, I, I, I was, well, yesterday afternoon into tonight, I'm fine now. I really wasn't feeling too well, so I was in bed, and I was watching, and it just reinforces what a great country we have. Uh, World War II in color. And just to see what men did for our country. I think of the line of more than country, themselves they loved. We have these experiences in life that just send chills up and down our spine in a good way. I wonder if for the people who received the book of Romans, when they heard the letter read, and when they came to chapter 3, verse 21, if they didn't have chills go down their spine. Because from chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 3, it's all bad news. Men are suppressing the truth. They're under the wrath of God. The good moral people who seem to do what God wants, they're under the wrath of God. The Jews who have the law, they're under the wrath of God. It's all bad news. It's no hope. But then in chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, the good news comes. And I wonder, when they heard it, if it just wasn't a chill up down their spine. The title for today is called A Righteousness from God. A Righteousness from God. Our text is found, as I said, in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. I'd ask you to stand with me as I would pray, and we would read from God's holy word. Father, we thank you that moment by moment, whether in weal, which is good times, or woe, which are the bad times, you're with us. And we thank you that you had a plan before the foundations of the world in which you would save men. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that the good news of the gospel has reached everybody in this room. And if not, today would be the day of salvation. We ask it for the glory of Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in, Jesus, in, in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, by the law, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's all bad news up to chapter 3, verse 21. Man is under the just wrath of God. Inescapable. Not going to turn from it. Can't fight it. Will only be subject to it. Unless somebody intervenes. And then they read these two words, or they hear these two words, but now. But now. <laughs> what great words. These two, little wor- these two little words indicate a contrast. Paul tells his audience that they no longer need to try to earn favor with God by acting a certain way so that they are acceptable to God. Because that's what they were trying to do. How often do we do that? How often do we try to make ourselves acceptable to God? We come into a problem. The troubles of this world come upon us as they do. And then we make what I call if-then deals with God. God, if you do this, then I will do this. God, I know I haven't, and for so long, and I haven't gone to church, or I haven't been reading my Bible, and I pray, but if you come through here, then I promise... I will read my Bible for eight hours a day, and I promise I'll be at every single service. Right? And we know we're lying to God right off the bat. Right? And God, by the way, God knows we're lying. All good intentions we may, but we make these if-then deals. As if somehow God could be bribed by us. Or, or, or God goes, oh, yeah, you know what? I really need you to spend more, eight more hours with me. Right? We don't, he wants us to spend our time with him. You understand what I mean? Paul is telling the audience, you don't need to do that. It never worked to start with. As I said, Paul had stated in chapter 1 that people suppress the clear revelation of God. And they're under wrath for it. In chapter 2, he addresses the good people, good moral people who hold the law. Don't even realize they're holding the law, but they're actually holding the law. That is the Ten Commandments. They're actually fulfilling them to some degree. And they find themselves in the same position under the wrath of God. In chapter 3, the first part, he tells the Jews who have the law, who've been given an advantage actually by having the law, what advantage is there being a Jew in every way? To them, we're given the very oracles of God. But yet, they are still under the wrath of God. As he says in Romans 3 9, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. 
Paul is saying, in essence, that we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. The boat of the wrath of God. The SS wrath of God, if you want to call it that. His mag- HMS wrath of God, right? That's His Majesty's service, by the way. That's if, you're, that's if you're from across the pond, that's your boat. But we're all in the same boat. Except for those two beautiful words. But now. But now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. By using the words, but now, Paul is stating that the law which had been given by God is now nullified in making a person righteous before God. It's apart from the law, it's a righteousness that is apart from it. It's outside the law. And it's, in fact, what the law and the prophets had always testified to. The Jews misunderstood the law. If I do these things, if I obey these perfectly, and, and theoretically, if you can obey the Ten Commandments without once ever faulting in them, you could go to heaven. Problem is, we can't get past number one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. I have never done that perfectly. I would wager what little money I have that you have not either. None of us have. We have all gone astray in our own way. We have all, interesting, you know, it just makes me think, I'll I'll, I'll actually, I, I do not condone cell phone use in church, but for this purpose it's good. This is what Paul Tripp tweeted out this morning about corporate worship, and it is so true. It says, corporate worship is designed to call you to call you away from being a self-appointed mini-king to a joyfully willing life of service and worship of the king of kings. That's what I want. I'm I'm a mini-king, right? How often We know we're mini-kings compared to the king of kings, but we often think we're the king or I'm the queen. It's all about me. I will never keep God's law perfectly. Later on in Romans, Paul says the whole point is to show you that you can't. It is apart from the law. It's outside of the law. It's what the law and the prophets actually point to. They testify that there is a righteousness that comes from God. Righteousness means to be in right standing with God. To not be at enmity with God. To not be God's enemy. You may say, well, I'm not God's enemy. If you ask the average person, if you were to evangelize or talk to people, but Lord, I'm I'm a spiritual person. As soon as they tell me they're a spiritual person, I know right away that they are God's enemy. Now that sounds really harsh. But it's true, because God's word says it is. They're not a righteous person, as God says. This righteousness is from God because only God can put a person in right standing with himself. This righteousness, of which Paul declares, marks a potential, listen to that word, potential change in man's conditional state. It is the potential change 
is from being in a state of utter darkness and helplessness under the wrath of God to that of having the light of life shine upon them. They now have a righteousness that is from God. A righteousness that is not found in good works, earning God's favor. It's not even found in obedience. It's not found in denying myself. It's a righteousness that can only come from God. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 8, that God actually created this righteousness. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says and how he attests to the righteousness from God. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the, rain, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have Created it. It is a righteousness that is found only in Jesus Christ. As he says, it is a righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. It's what verse 22 says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, for there is no distinction. Paul states again that it is a righteousness that can only come from God. And it is a righteousness that is far and above human obedience to the law. It is a righteousness that is different in its source, essence, and duration. It is different because this righteousness is the very person of Jesus Christ. And by simple faith in Him, His righteous, and in Him and His righteousness can one obtain salvation. Through simple faith. Simply believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 22 again, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Salvation is available to everybody. There is no distinction as to who can believe or not believe because God commands, as we read in Acts 17.30, that all people are to repent. What a great God to call all people to repentance. I'm giving you a way out of the boat. It is doomed for destruction. Here is a lifeline. Would you please take it? And people refuse God to their own peril. All people need to repent because all people have sinned against God. Romans 3.23, we know it well, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's it mean to sin? What's it mean to fall short? It's one and the same thing. As you may know, it's an archery term. To fall short, sin, would be the old English word where the archer would shoot at the target and he would miss the bullseye. He would fall short. It would mean to sin. So when they would practice, the guy would be out by the target. Why you would ever want to stand there is beyond me, but they would. And the guy would shoot his arrow and he would shout, sin, if he missed. If he didn't hit the bullseye. We've all missed the bullseye. Paul is telling us again that everybody is in the same boat under the judgment of God. And you know what the good news is? That we're all in the same boat. (laughs) That's actually the good news. It is only people in a boat that can be rescued by this grace gift of righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's what it says in verses 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. A gift of God. It's amazing that so many people reject such a great gift. I don't want it. I don't need it. Who is this God to tell me what to do? Fact is, we'll all face this God one day. And we will do exactly what He tells us to do at that moment. We will have no choice. Why is it by faith? Because Jesus alone is the righteousness from God. And is the only method of satisfying God's just wrath. That's what verse 25 tells us. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He has passed over former sins. The word propitiation summed up literally means to be at peace with God, to be in a right standing, to be in a peaceful relationship with God. I would ask you, are you at peace with God today? That's a great question to ask people. Hey, are you at peace with God? Of course I am. I'm a spiritual person. Okay. What makes you believe that you're at peace with God? What do you base that upon? Well, I... Okay, you did that, but did you do this? Oh, yeah, I did do that, actually. Did you... Love your neighbor as you were supposed to. Ah, oh, no, actually, he's kind of a jerk. I don't like him. All right, well, here we go. So now you're in the boat. But what does it mean that God passed over former sins? Did God just forget about those sins? Absolutely not. God can't forget about those sins. God doesn't let those things just, it's not water under the bridge, as we would say. The answer is in verse 26. It was to show God passed over former sins in His divine forbearance. Passed over former sins so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The purpose was to show that God is a God of justice. We should never forget that God is going to be a God of justice. That God is a God of justice. He's a God of peace and grace and mercy. But all of those come out of his justice. God is a God of just. No, in the say in uh, the New Jersey way, ain't nobody getting away with nothing, right? Or nothing, right? Actually, I, I, I'm sorry, Kathy. I hear your voice talking Jersey when I hear that, right? Because she's just got a great Jersey voice. And I'm not making, she does, right? Ain't, but, ain't nobody getting away with nothing, right? We all stand naked and bare before the one of whom we must give an account. Every wrong will be made right one day, from the smallest to the greatest. God is a God of justice. But why did he overlook former sins? Why did he have divine forbearance? Well, God, who is a God of justice, is also a God of great love and mercy. He knew that man was helpless, unable to save himself. And so then God himself made a way for man to pay for his sins, so as not to suffer the eternal consequences of those sins. 
God is so loving and kind that He left sins committed before Jesus unpunished. That does not mean that God condones or overlooks sins. It simply means, as verse 26 states, that He demonstrates His justice at the present time or in the person of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Imagine if God demanded instant justice for sins, then everybody in the Old Testament would have been consumed under the wrath of God. The entire world would have been consumed under the wrath of God, and you and I would not exist today. God in His great love chose to hold back demanding justice till Jesus Christ came and paid the price on the cross. It's because of His great love that the prophet Jeremiah attests to this fact that we are not consumed. Verses 27 to 31, Paul sums up all that he's written. What becomes of our boasting? The Jews would boast because they had the law. He goes, it's excluded. There's no reason to boast. Nobody can say that I'm in with God because of what I have done or because of what I believe. He goes, what then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No. By the law of faith. It is only by faith in Jesus Christ that one is saved. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from from works of the law. You're not going to hold the law. You're not going to be a good enough boy or girl to earn God's favor. It is by faith. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. The Gentiles didn't have the law. How were they to be saved? By faith in Christ Jesus. How were the Jews to be saved? By faith in Christ Jesus. They just didn't really look at the law. They said, well, it means this. Remember, Jesus comes on the scene in the great Sermon on the Mount, and He would say this, You have heard that it was said this, but I tell you, it's this. The Word Himself interpreted the Word for them. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Does it really mean that the law was pointless? No. By no means. On contrary, we uphold the law. We uphold the actual law that God gave by having faith in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus came to fulfill the law on our behalf. Who can boast? No one. Why? Because of faith. Man is justified apart from observing the law because God is God of both the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul makes it very clear that there is one God. And he can justify both the Jews and the Gentiles through faith. Your faith does not nullify anything in scriptures. In fact, it upholds it. The law always pointed to the fact that man cannot be saved by observing it. It points us to a fact that there must be another way. And that way is through faith. Because now a righteousness from God has been revealed. Perhaps you were living your life in a way that I'm either just checking the boxes because that's what God wants. 
Or perhaps you're here today because you realize that there is something in your life that is desperately missing. And maybe you've come because, well, I'll give God a try. Maybe He's the answer. And I tell you today that He is the answer. He absolutely is the answer. That there is no other name given amongst men by which you must be saved. That the answer to every single problem that you and I face, and I mean every single problem that you and I face, whether it be physical, financial, spiritual, whatever it is, is Jesus Christ. There is absolutely no one who can eternally help us. So how do you react to a passage about this? Which tells me that my way is not going to work. And only God's way will. Well, as I said, if you heard this for the first time, then repent. Say, you know what, God, I've been living in my own way. And I confess that I have, and I, I, I forsake my own way, and I trust in you. And Lord, I don't even know what it all means, but I trust in you, and I trust that you will show me the way. If that's you today, please let me know, because we will help you see the way that God says. What about for other, those who have been Christians for a long time, and you're saying, oh, well, I've heard this before. I would remind you what Peter writes to his audience. That it is, it is this very thing that Peter says, the one thing I want you to remember, and I will make sure that you remember, even after I'm dead, is this very thing, that it is through faith in Christ Jesus and nothing else. Of all the things to know and believe, that's the most important. Can you know all the fancy words of doctrine? Yeah, they have their place. Absolutely, they are important. But ultimately, you need to have the faith to believe that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you need to build and move from there. We who've been Christians for a long time, as we look at the table today, as we remember the Lord in communion, need to remember that we ourselves were destined for hell. And God rescued us from the sinking ship. As Romans 5, 6 tells us, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So for us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to always ask ourselves, as the writer of Hebrews warned his writers, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Are we ignoring our salvation that's been given to us in Christ Jesus? No, we can neglect God's salvation in two ways. First, just neglect it altogether, just not care about it. That's an obvious one. The second and most deadly way, which Scripture warns us so often about, is by accepting it and not really having much change in our life. It's to have Jesus as our Savior, but not as our Lord. I think Scripture is pretty clear that if we adopt this attitude, then Jesus will be neither Savior or Lord. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we must move on in God from the elementary teachings of God. Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, for some, that might be all they ever get. The thief on the cross, 
That's what he knew. And it got him to heaven. But you know what? He didn't have a lifetime to live off of that. We do. We're called to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. Paul, in the, in the book of Ephesians, prays for them. He says he prays that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. That they would know how great the mystery of God's love is. That they would grow deeper and deeper in the knowledge of God. That's, quite frankly, our prayer for you and for ourselves. We need to grow on into the deep truths of the faith through studying God's Word. By training ourselves to live godly lives. Paul, writing to Timothy who was a pastor, reminds Timothy, maybe Timothy uh, used to go to the gym. I don't know. But he writes in 1 Timothy 4, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Do we spend more time at L.A. Fitness than we do in God's Word? I don't go to L.A. Fitness. (laughs) It's obvious. (laughs) I go get cheeseburgers. But if we're not growing in our knowledge of God, we will suffer spiritual atrophy. And we could potentially become useless. And fall off in the sin. And as Hebrews would tell us in Hebrews 10, 26. That we should expect nothing but the fire that will consume the enemies of God. We must check ourselves and give ourselves wholly to the things of God. The bread and the cup remind us of this. They tell us of what great a salvation that we have. And that we should live a life that is pleasing to God and experience His perfect love which casts out fear. Loved ones, the world's not getting any better. Nine people were shot last night in Texas. That's one of which we know about. The world is getting more and more wicked. And if we're really paying attention... They are really getting out their knives towards the church. What these Christians, Christo-fascists is the name for us now. Because we believe that God created man and woman. We believe that God made male and female. That marriage is between a man and a woman. That there is one way to be saved. These are considered hate things today. And unless we develop and search out the truth of God's word, we will easily fall sway to the world. Because when the world tells you, well, God is actually this. If God really is, and they always couch it in the terms of God as a loving God. I sent the elders, as a joke, a text the other day, said that I'm going to switch from the ESV Bible. Because... PETA, the uh, People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, which has a place in the world. I'm not saying it doesn't. 
through this GP chat or whatever this AI thing is, wrote a new version of the Bible that is animal friendly. Don't think that the world is seeking to rewrite the Bible. They have been for centuries. And right now we have God's word. We have been given it. God has saved us. He has called us. And if he has, the one thing that makes us wise for salvation is God's word. We neglect it to our own peril. While we still have it, there are brothers and sisters in the world who would love to have this. They have pieces of it. They have pages of it. House churches in China, North Korea, and Iran. If somebody has a page of the Bible, they hold it like it's a bar of gold. How about us? We look at the table. We look at what God has done. How could we do no less? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there is a righteousness from God that is apart from the law. Thank you that it is a righteousness that has been made manifest to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that your truth is your word. It is your word that sanctifies us. It is your word that shapes us and grows us. It is your word that guides and teaches us about the mystery and the things of God. I pray, Lord God, that there not be a person here today who does not know in the true sense of what your word says, the great love of God today. We ask it in Jesus' name.